Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The John Sterling Show. I am John Sterling, and this podcast is powered by BRC Recovery and their mission to serve our nation's veterans in recovery. Matter of fact, we're not just powered by BRC Recovery. We're empowered by this wonderful organization. And as a 13-year U.S. Army veteran, uh, I have the distinct privilege to utilize this platform to do three specific things. Today, we're going to place a spotlight on this organization and the hope and the joy that they provide to our nation's warriors. We're also going to prevent, uh, present rather an alternate mindset of thriving versus shame and stigma as we have this really, really good conversation today. And we're going to provide a voice, a voice of advocacy for our brothers and sisters in arms. And today I'm just absolutely overjoyed to be uh, having this conversation with an individual that I've known for a long time. Uh, she is currently serving uh, full-time in the capacity of an advocate professionally in the United States Army as a sergeant major. I'll get a, her an opportunity to introduce herself in that capacity. Uh, but today we have none other than uh, my good friend, Mira Brown. Mira, wow. Hello. Unbelievable. We're sitting here today. I'm so excited to be here. This is great. This yes, is great. This is awesome. You know, Mira, um, we spoke today as we were uh, going up the stairs to get a rental car to head to dinner, head over here, and you jump-started this whole conversation. I did. And I told you that we were going to be having uh, the opportunity to talk, and I just spoke about it, uh, but this idea of joy, hope first, but then joy that is is grown from the hope uh, that, that not only BRC provides, but uh, the individuals like yourself that have decided to take me up, to trust me, to trust the leadership at BRC on this opportunity to become advocates mm -hmm. for those that don't have a voice themselves. Absolutely. And I wanted to start with this question, uh, the trust factor that piqued your curiosity mm. for this opportunity. Uh, let the people know that are listening kind of how that evolved. And, and you can go into a little bit of our relationship professionally, but the trust that was required to, to take that next step. Okay. Um, well, so I first met you through someone that I trusted, and uh, his name is Sergeant Major Retired, Command Sergeant Major Retired, Jamie Swenson. Right. Um, so he brought me to you several years ago through another organization. And through that organization, I became very familiar with you and the platform, like what you were really trying to get after in this veteran space, like what your real goal was My of heart. this. Your, exactly, your heart. Sure. What was actually the heartbeat of you? And so watching that evolve, and, and I'm so thankful to Jamie for having invited me into that space, into that platform to be with you. And then you morphed into your current platform over there in team, and I joined you there. And that's where I still am with you today. Sure. And I uh, I trust you unequivocally enough to have gotten on a plane today. I took leave to be here. Awesome. <laughs> and I awesome. got on a plane to come talk to you, to come uh, tour BRC, because um, I just in reading their read-ahead material, just a little sure. bit about what they offer, what, uh, what they're all about, what right. they're – platform is it gave me chills it wow. almost brought me to tears in reading um just what their foundation was what was important to them um in the veteran space especially as it you know pertains to how i feel about the veteran space so my trust factor is through the roof with you john because good i got on this plane and i'm so excited to meet some other people too that you know that, that i have met through you and i'm very excited well that's great and you know trust begets trust and so the very first person that I had an opportunity to introduce you to was the tip of the spear. I call her the tip of the spear. She's the president of BRC Recovery. Her name is Mandy Baker. And I can tell you, I know how she responded to you. Mm -hmm. I think uh, whether it's in our closest relationships or colleagues or people we run into at the grocery store, sometimes we just have chemistry mm -hmm. with people. And I think clearly, clearly. Uh, there was that happening. There was. But I think it's important for the listeners to understand uh, – this is a unique interview today in that you have literally not laid your eyes on the operation of BRC. You've not seen their facilities. You've not talked and listened to clinicians. Correct. This is still a big trust factor. But Mandy was able to further cement a thought process that was taking you down a path. 
help us understand how that interaction really uh, made a difference when you met Mandy Baker. Okay, so first of all, um, she got points with me immediately because I'm a hugger. So we hugged immediately, and she there was no hesitation there. So she she got me. She hooked me right there. But um, no, in talking with her at dinner, um, she grabbed me right away because she is passionate about things that I care about, mm. things that are um, unspoken, things that are not uh, talked about enough. And she had so much knowledge and so much care, and she was hungry for more knowledge so that she can help the veteran space, which is what I care about. It's you know, it's it's my heart also. Sure. So um, the fact that she was willing to ask questions and clarify and get extra a better understanding of of what she can do as a leader right. in her organization right. to um, bring in those veterans, take care of those veterans mm. in, where they are, like mm. meet them where they are. Mm. Um, and she cared enough to be like, hey, there's things that I don't know and I want to know. Talk to me about Absolutely. that. And that's what we went off the rails at dinner and right. discussed, right? Like right. we had to race over here because we were having such great conversation talking about, you know, the veteran space and 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 veterans that need help. And she, her passion level is through the roof yeah. of it. And you can tell that it keeps her up at night. Yes, it does. Just like it does me, just in a different way. Right. We obviously are, you know, on different levels that's of right. what we deal with. but. Right. I could most definitely tell that that is what makes her tick. It is right. what is in her brain right. 24-7, and you have to try to shut it off. She is just like me. She, I think she and even I, mentioned that. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. so she's a, she's a president of an organization in the healthcare space. Mm -hmm. You're a sergeant major, mm -hmm. for those that don't understand what the heck that even is. That is a person that has been in the military for a minute. A minute. <laughs> that is recognized for their leadership mm -hmm. and rewarded accordingly for additional layers and levels of not only leadership, but accountability. So in that capacity, uh, and again, many of our advocacy board members are uh, in the capacity of having been served and now they're retired. I am medically retired. So we've, we've been, you are currently in that Correct. role. Yes. So as you always say, when we are on another leadership platform that we're involved with, that you're, you're coming in to help me to expose those that are still serving mm -hmm. to leadership opportunities. Yes. Uh, and that, that's a, that's a big deal. And, and, and that's one of the, the main reasons that I decided that I wanted you to be part of this in that capacity. We talked about something today um, that was that really got my attention, and I just want to briefly go over this because we're going to address this notion of joy. And you brought something really organically to the table, but as a as a senior leader, when the fit hits the shan, mm -hmm. we know what I mean, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You get the memo, right? You get alerted. You get mm -hmm. on any level, right? Any part of the country, that's part of the military protocol that that we understand, kind of what the readiness level is, what. Sure. What, what's going on. So there's, there was some drama that happened um, in one of the bases uh, in the Army recently. Mm -hmm. and, and your commander had some comments about that specifically to this notion of joy. Kind of take us quickly through what your last 48 hours has been with regard to that. So, um, so I just finished some duty that I did over the weekend. And um, my commander always gives our chaplain an opportunity to close the session, right? He gives them some space to talk to everybody. And something that he said this weekend stuck with me. So he said that the word of the weekend was joy. Mm. And so everybody, you know, like lights up in the room. Oh, yes, yes. Everyone's shaking their head. Yes, right. yes, yes. And uh, he said, joy, because this is the holiday season. It is a joyful time. We are with friends. We are with family. It is a celebratory time uh, just by nature, right. right? The holiday season. And everybody's agreeing. Yes, yes, yes. And he's like, but I challenge you to remember those that you deal with on a daily basis, soldiers that bring you their problems, because that is what we do as leaders. We are we fix, we solve, we mentor, we take care of. And so he's like, don't forget those soldiers who have come to you throughout this whole year mm. with the most burdensome of problems on their shoulders, mm. the most pain in their heart, their most pain in their souls, their deepest, darkest secrets. They come to you, mm. the leaders that they trust. Mm. So don't forget that they may not have joy in this holiday season. Mm. So while you're spending that time with your family and your friends this holiday season, 
and you're experiencing joy, remember that there are people who have not experienced joy or have had traumatic things happen throughout the year that have come to you as their leader and and discuss those things with you and asked for guidance and asked for help. Call them. Mm. Pick up the phone and talk to them. Mm. Don't forget them. You know, they need us now more than ever, right. especially in this season. This season tends to you see an uptick in, in um, military veteran suicides, and it's a very serious problem. Right. And he just said, you know, I just challenge you as leaders to make sure that you don't forget those soldiers that you that you um, love and care about during this joyous holiday season, because not everyone does get to experience joy. Right. And and one of the things you shared with me in a conversation that kind of led to to that was that there was a shooting uh, on one of the bases here. Yeah, I, I think almost immediately as I got off the plane, I was like, uh, we were in the elevator and I said, did you hear about the shooting at Fort Stewart? And you were like, no. And there was a, a soldier that killed another soldier at Fort Stewart today. Yeah. So as soon as I got off the plane, my I had... 32 text messages, you know, right. asking me like, what's going on? Are right. you okay? Like, what, right. you know, what, because, you know, I, I'm in different locations from That's time right. to time. That's right. Um, so, you know, just it, my phone was just inundated with, right. with that news. And, and so. so that, that kind of activity, those kind of behaviors are mm-hmm. often indicative of what um, is the result of the things that BRC in the military community is trying to mitigate, right? There's not a lot of people who are making those decisions outside of behavioral health issues which are part and parcel of substance use, abuse, mm-hmm. and dependency. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was really ironic uh, that that conversation was part and parcel of of uh, this whole next couple of days. Mm-hmm. It just organically happened. Yes. And those are the, the kinds of individuals that you would be able to influence on behalf of BRC, a, mm-hmm. an organization that could come to the assistance of those that are dealing with with those struggles. And, and again, to be able to insert joy and hope into someone's life through having a resource like this. Absolutely. I think that the direction that I'm so excited about and most excited about this conversation, Mira, is mm-hmm. that when you specifically are talking about this whole idea of recovery and the carnage that substance abuse can render on uh, people, it's it's not just people for you, it's your family. Mm-hmm. And you have some specific lived experience around that. And one of the things that BRC does by extension of their services to those they deal with specifically is the intention of wrapping their arms around family, that family unit. Now, without completely taking the cat out of the bag, you know where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. Generically speaking, your purview, how important is the family engagement in the healing and recovery and wellness of the individual that's at the topic of that conversation? Well, you can't have one without the other. Mm. I can tell you that for sure. That from personal lived experience, you you have to have the full package. So um, if the the person who has the substance abuse or the mental health issues or whatever the case may mm. be, all the things that BRC Recovery deals with, um, if they are receiving the care that they need, but the family unit is not, is just completely left out of the process, then when that person comes back into the fold of the family, mm. then it is no longer a complete product because you still have people over here that were neglected that never got the healing process started or resumed or whatever, you know, wherever they need. They never got that healing process and this person over here maybe did get an opportunity to get some healing. And it it's not a complete picture when you put them back together. Wow. So specifically, um, in Mira Brown's life, we're talking mm-hmm. about a guy by the name of Garrett Brown. Mm-hmm. Who would that be? That's my husband. Wow. And you are a sergeant major. I am. And if he were still in, what would he be? Uh, he is a star in first class. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's downstream from you though, right? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a hair. Okay. So in the environment, and we're talking again about understanding now the culture of the military rank. Mm-hmm. And you made a comment to me in one of our recent conversations that I think BRC is is going to eventually be able to wrap their minds around 
in helping families that are in this position where you have dual military activity because mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That the, their, the very things that you could address with your soldiers and subordinates, you could not address handle or address with your own yes. husband. Yes. Help us understand that dynamic in the context of this conversation regarding substance use and dependency. So um, my husband uh, was involved with a law enforcement activity um, that kind of led to him having some problems with his military career. And leading up to that, um, he was definitely, I guess, what would be classified as an alcoholic. Mm. Okay. So I deal with soldiers every day that have substance abuse problems, alcohol abuse problems, family problems, whatever the case may be. It's my job. Right. Um, part of my job as a leader. Um, and I felt after as I as I look back and reflected on everything that happened, I felt like I could help my soldiers could come to me or I could see signs in them that that I could identify. This is a problem. This is a problem that needs to be solved. And I will help you solve that problem. I have all the resources at my fingertips. I know exactly who to call. I know exactly where to go. I know exactly what to say. You know, I, f- I feel like yeah. I could deliver what the deliverable that was needed. That's right. Uh, I obviously did not see that in my husband. Whether mm-hmm. I feel like I at times maybe made excuses um, and and just could not see it for face value of what it was. Mm. Um, and that I I have regret for that like every day of my life because I feel like how could I have been there for my soldiers but I couldn't even be there for my husband. And then and then in turn I couldn't be there for my son, right? Because we right. have a son. And um so I feel me personally like I kind of let my family down because I deal with this every day. He's a soldier. He's also my husband. Right. So how could I not see what was right in front of me like every single day, identify just how severe and how how much help he needed and how much he was crying out for that help? Like it wasn't just mm. that he needed it. He was begging for it. Mm. And I didn't come to his aid. His leadership didn't come to his aid mm. in enough time. Um, and so what transpired, transpired. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. We were just at dinner and um, a very wise individual gave some sage advice. Uh, and she was just talking about the fact that if leaders don't determine that things matter or things need to happen, then they won't. And so what you're telling me, one, I, t- I heard two things. I heard you tell me that, in essence, based on the rhythm of your day, substance use is epidemic in the military, but we label it maybe something different, or we look away, or we don't choose to lead when there's an opportunity to lean into difficult things. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about the need. Well, let me just, let me back this up. I, I'm thinking really critically without throwing anyone under the bus, but I will tell you that I've experienced things in the military that have led me to believe that there's a culture problem when it comes to addressing things like alcohol, for example, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol is not smoking weed and smoking weed's not, you know, doing crack. Mm-hmm. So we tend to categorize things based upon what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also some glamorization of, of certain substances, mainly alcohol. Mm-hmm. When you think about leadership that you're involved with on a senior level, what do you think the greatest stigma associated with helping those who they can help because they're leaders is associated with substance abuse? So if you remember, John, this is the first thing that pops in my head. If you remember what our main mission in the Army is, to fight and win our nation's wars, that is our goal. That is our whole purpose in life. That is what mm. we are here to do. Everything else is white noise around it. Interesting. So as a leader, that is our focus. It has to be our focus. Um, I can leave tomorrow and I will be replaced. 
Right. No problem. The army goes rolling along, right? Any branch of service goes rolling along. That is what is designed to do. Mm. That is important. I don't mm. want to take that away from a service, mm. right? That is important. Right. That's how we function, and that's right. how we continue to protect our nation. Right. Um, however, when we have high performers, um, and my husband just so happened to be one of those people. He's a very high performer. Mm. Um, when the cracks start to show— you don't want to see those. Mm. Like, that's not what we want to see. We want to see this high performer that is just killing it for us. Right. Literally and figuratively at times. Right. You know, sure. Um, just, just doing everything that needs to be done. There's never a problem. You fire and forget. I don't have to go back and check on you. You're perfect. You're just doing what needs to be done. And when cracks reveal themselves, because the Army is an institution or any other branch of service is an mm. institution, is designed— to be able to function no matter what in the most dire of circumstances. Right. Then when those cracks start to reveal themselves in people, in our resource, our number one resource, people, right. um, sometimes we don't have space for that. Mm. We don't make space for that. Mm. However, mm. if we wow. don't take care of our number one resource, which is people, then what are we, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Also, what are we doing? Right. Because um, it's kind of like, I look at the army sometimes or any branch of service, I guess, you know, you break it, you buy it. Right. Like there are, there are things that soldiers, airmen, sailors, Marines take a burden of that is immeasurable. Right. Um, and when they show some weakness, because it is difficult for them to deal with, we need to be able to, as leaders, right. address it without fear. Like, don't be afraid to take care of them. Don't be afraid to meet them where they are. Don't be afraid to be like, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Yes. Let me help you and not ruin your career while I'm at it, right? right. Like, let me not destroy you in the process because right. there is recovery after. There mm. is the ability to not be okay, go through a period of fixing, and then come out on the other side better than you were when you started. But we haven't gotten there. I, I feel like there's a gap. No, you're right. And I, I, I'm thinking about some things that I've experienced. So what you just described was hope, ultimately. Yes. And that's what people yes. want. They want. They want to know that they can be okay. Mm -hmm. So that narrative you just described needs to be understood by an organization like BRC because the muscle memory of a service member going into that environment is that you don't care about me. Mm -hmm. At some point, somebody is going to fail me. The same way people failed your husband. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that a little bit. But I'm thinking about an organization like a BRC that says we're going to put our flag in the sand for service members. And we're going we're gonna to do things a certain way to allow them to be heard, to meet them where they're at. And I think everything you just said to you and I might be common knowledge, mm -hmm. but to civilian providers and those that are just kind of getting their arms around it, they're not aware of that. And I think what you just said is really, really important. So your husband, Garrett, was mm -hmm. the recipient of some of what you just described, mm -hmm. some failure to lead, right? His leaders did not a do- A failure and a success. Okay. I got both. Okay. Yeah, both. There, there is a bright. End there is the story, and and you are you are, you're drinking my Kool Aid, sister. Mm, We're gonna okay. get there. So, let's talk about though, because what what we want to talk about at BRC is mm. the hope, the the end end of the the rainbow. There there is something way bigger than a pot of gold. There is mm. life, there is liberty, mm -hmm. there is happiness, there is joy, there is relationships. But in the meantime we might have to go through some stuff and sometimes it's not, it's not pretty. So, mm -hmm. so we can understand as an organization, BRC, what you're going to be coming literally to the table as an advocate with let's, let's, we have this saying in the military, what right looks like. Mm -hmm. How about what right doesn't look like? <laughs> okay. In your instance with your husband, mm -hmm. right. On a general level, we already mm -hmm. talked about this. We're going to, we're going to yeah. have to truncate some of this, but yes. what did leadership not look like when Garrett needed it the most? Um, it looked like um, a soldier verbally asking for help, right? Like no no qualms about it, um, asking for help, saying he was breaking, 
saying things were not okay, you know, both in his just his head or his mental capacity more because Garrett, again, was a high performer. And you can only maintain that level of high performance for so long when you have other very traumatic things going on in the background. Garrett would um, mask his his depression, his anxiety. He has a traumatic brain injury. Didn't know any of that prior to his treatment. Um, but he would mask all of those feelings with alcohol. Um, and so... He eventually was at least able to identify, like, I'm going to break. I right. cannot maintain this level of op-tempo any longer. I need help. And um, help in the form of he didn't go as far as to be like, you know, send me to, to treatment right. or not, or send me to counseling. It was right. more like, can you move me to another position where I'm not just go, 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 just go. pivot. Right. Just, just give me something else. Right. Let me take a knee for a moment. Mm. Um, but because he's such a high performer, again— I'm I'm not going to sit here and and blame all the leadership because I'm in that leadership position now. Mm. I understand how important it is when you have a high performer that you keep that high performer performing. But what we're missing is that had they given him that knee, had they given him a chance, had they listened to him, mm. they would still have that high performer mm. and he'd probably be an E8 by now. Mm. Right? Like it, it would have continued right. instead of hitting a brick wall, which right. is what happened. Right. Um. So I feel like, you know, he verbally tried to express that he was experiencing difficulties and needed to do something mm. different um, because it just was not, you know, working anymore. But they really just wanted him to stay where he was. Um, and then he, like I said, had a, an incident with law enforcement, mm. um, at which point, you know, your chain of command is always notified and, sure. and they're involved. Um, and so in that process, uh, he was able to go to treatment because of this law enforcement incident right. and it was identified because there was alcohol involved right. in this law enforcement incident. Um, so there's a treatment program at Fort Gordon, yes. um, Georgia, and they allowed him to go to that program. Um, but in the process, there were, you know, um, wanting to remove, he's, he was um, AGR, which is like active for the guard. Um, they wanted to remove him from his active duty position, basically fire him, if you if you will. Right. Um, and he was you know, within six months of hitting 18 years and, you know, 18 years is the golden number right. yep. to retire. Yep. Um, so he was just right there. And um, but they were willing to throw all that away because they were angry. He was a he was a black eye on the organization. He was no longer. He yeah, went I think your exact phrase was he went from a sugar to shit. That's yeah. Right. But I, I've experienced that. That's right. Very quickly. Y yes. Yes. Very you quickly. And I have discussed that. Yes. Um, and it happened so fast. Mm. Uh, literally like that. So he went from this, you know, high performer, everyone loves him, to we have to get rid of him. He's mm. he is he has done something wrong, he is messed up, and we need to move on. Mm. But not just move on from him, like we need to cut off the cancer. Mm. Right. So um he went through this period of, you know, he he resigned because they asked him to resign. Right. Um but he resigned very much under distress, mm. and I did not know about it at the time mm. because he did it entering recovery. Mm. And then, you know, we don't we don't speak after that for several weeks. Right. They do not um, have communication. So it was only when he was coming out of recovery, uh, literally two days before I picked him up, that I found out that, you know, they had asked him and, and under duress, you know, just stress, right. he resigned. Um, so we had to kind of go through this process right. of trying to recover from that. And there was a senior leader um, in the organization who just happened to hear me speaking to someone else, uh, not even about Garrett, just heard my voice, came over to the room that I was in and said, hey, you know, how's Garrett? And I was like, oh, uh, you know, I didn't, he was very much higher ranking than I was. So yeah. I was, you know, there's times when you don't want to be truthfully, truthfully honest, right? You just right. want to kind of give the, give the once over, give the brushstroke. Right. And, and so I just said, Simply that we were just uh, we were we were getting through and mm. we were just trying to figure out what our future was going to look like in a few right. days. Right. Because a few days was when they were, you know, going to kick him, him off. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, this person looked at me very confused and wasn't understanding of what I was saying, you know, because they were not in the know, but they should have been in the know. But they were not. Um, they was kept from them, mm. you know. And uh, so I explained. I said, yeah, I'm, you know, Garrett's getting ready to be discharged, you know, so and. And uh, that was not at all what that person wanted to hear. And, 
you know, fast unacceptable. forward. Unacceptable. And uh, so at the end of the day, that person completely reversed what was happening to Garrett. Right. No longer being kicked out, assigned to a specific person so that he could continue his recovery and that that was his job now. I am assigning him to this location. This one person will maintain accountability of him. He will have free reign to go to all of his appointments, do what he has to do to get better because this is not how we treat people. Mm. But that was just one person that felt that way. But it was the most senior of people. It was a leader. Correct. But there were people in between, you know, that were afraid to make. It's a hard decision. Right. Right. If someone messes up, it's really hard to be like, what happened? Explain it to me. Right. Right. And but he took that time to do that. You know, you met a gentleman today at dinner as well named Cedric, and he and I got a chance to speak uh, in this format uh, last week. And we had this long drawn out conversation about the power of the question. What happened to you? Not what the hell's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Not WTF is wrong with you, mm-hmm. which is what that's that's typical army talk mm-hmm. or military talk. Absolutely. And so the average service member is is postured to get that mm-hmm. in any environment because one, we don't want to even be in a position to recover. We don't want to have to have that conversation. No. We're not trying to recover. We're good. Mm-hmm. But when we get to the point where Garrett was where we're saying, yeah, I am broken. There's things that are wrong with me. I need help. And we can't lean into people that are also leaning into us. That's, that's, that's tough. And, and I would say, again, this story is very helpful because what we're talking about is a stigma against even saying the first word that would indicate that there's a problem. I, I say this, um, Garrett, for the first time when he went to treatment, felt heard. He also mm. felt validated, vindicated, if you will. Sure. Because in his mind, he knew something wasn't right, but he couldn't quite put it. I mean, he knew all these things were going on, right. all this stress, all the anxiety, all the depression. Um, I had even, he even revealed to me at one point, I had bought him a pistol for his birthday and he was sitting in his office and he pulled it out of the desk drawer and he was, I mean, we literally live a quarter of a mile from where he worked at the time. And uh, he was working late and he just had, he couldn't take it anymore, you know, and he had already tried to reach out for help the best way that he knew how. And he's like, you know, again, this was all only revealed through, through treatment that we finally found this out. But I mean, he, you know, he was like, I, I was going to suck start that pistol at that moment. And he's like, and the only thing that stopped him was our son. Mm. That's the only thing that stopped him. Right. Um, And. So like that just, you know, that just right. breaks me as his right. wife because I'm like, I also feel like I did not see all these things, right. you know. But when he finally was able to go to treatment right. for alcohol use right. and was able to then do follow on treatment right. and be diagnosed with anxiety and depression and a traumatic brain injury right. and and all these things, he finally was like, I'm not crazy. Like, I'm not making this up because he felt like he was. He, right. But he just never expressed it to anyone. Correct. So he's internalizing all of this of, you know, like, I'm I'm nuts. Like, I'm losing it. I can't. What is wrong with me? Why can I not maintain this when maybe the person next to me can? Right. You know, but everybody's different. And only when he went through that complete process, because right. the inpatient treatment was 40, 42 days, I think. And then after that, it was a uh, it was almost two years sure. of outpatient treatment, like right. almost every single day. Right. And um, and through that, he finally felt like I get it. Like now, right. I get that why right. I am how I am, and I accept how I am. Mm. But it helps him to make healthier decisions. Mm. It helps him to, um, you know, help others. Like sure. right now, he's kind of trying to help some veterans who have gotten out and are having a rough time with, uh, you know, just getting their VA claims filed or right. whatever. Like he feels useful in helping those. It's nothing right. official. He's just right. helping friends. Right. Um, and That's it awesome. just he finally found some purpose again. So this is all coming from the heart and the mind and the mouth of a spouse. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you're sure Sergeant Major Brown. Mm-hmm. You're a spouse, and this paints a narrative and creates a picture around the value that good, robust, therapeutic environments can provide. Because you're literally, I mean, if he was thinking he was losing his mind, what were you thinking? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all experiencing this 
as a collective, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Re- re- the, the abuse and the recovery doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Well, so I feel, as I look back on it now, I feel like I was walking on eggshells the whole time, you know, trying to get through this. Um, but once he got into the recovery space, um, I would go a couple of times with him to his counselor that was assigned to him at Fort Stewart, and she was amazing. Like, she saved his life. Mm. I will— 100% unequivocally say that because mm. the 42-day treatment got him sober. Right. Then he continued on with addressing all of the issues, the mm. mental health, the PTSD. Mm. He was also diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. Um, you know, just addressing all of that. And she would bring me in to this, to this space. And, you know, at his convenience and at his right. comfort level. Yep. Um, and we would talk things through. And then also Garrett became very transparent with our son. You know, he at first when I came home and he was um, arrested, I didn't have him with me. I obviously came home without my husband. And and my son is, of course, asking questions, you know, and I'm like, oh, he stayed up there and helped some people move because I didn't know what I was supposed to. What am I supposed to say? Mm. And he was, you know, in there for for a couple of days. But once he got out. And once he also went to recovery, Mm. went through recovery Mm. and got into that space, he had candid conversations with Trenton about with our son that it is not that it's okay to not be okay, Mm. And that this is what happened to me. And I I dealt with it all wrong. But now I know how to deal with it correctly because I have gone through like what BRC recovery offers. Right. And and you're saying that I'm just going to say, you know, this is truthful. You're saying that presumptively. I mean, I've I've painted a pretty. Mm-hmm. picture of brc so let's say that the reality is you don't know anything about brc mm-hmm. what do you need to see when you kick the tires and look underneath the hood that would allow you to believe this is the place for veterans in a similar way when you told me fort gordon phenomenal in a similar way you told me his his therapist in savannah phenomenal what does the veteran need to feel and we're going to talk about this later more mm-hmm. specifically, but like this is for me. What we've, had, we've heard a lot of things from a lot of people. We've heard about structure. We've heard about, you know, uh, ab- addressing the stigma, addressing the things that you've experienced in the military that we're not going to have happen here. But what, what would you need to see? Um, I, I think also it's important to not um, – we had some discussions at dinner tonight that sure. really struck a chord with me. Sure. Um, and talking about what I need to see, Mira Brown needs to see, is not the pretty. And I, and I say that because that is very important. You know, we have that saying in the Army where we say dog and pony show. Mm-hmm. Like the important people are coming, make, coming, make it look pretty real quick, you know. And, and we scrub everything. We make it beautiful. And then the important people show up and everybody smiles. <laughs> and then you walk away and reality yep. is back, right, yep. at the moment they walk out the door. Right. So I would just say that it's okay to, like, show even the bad. Like if someone right. is if, – if I run into someone in this recovery space that is, you know, going through something, that's okay. Like because they're given a space to do that, mm. a safe space, mm. by the way. Like mm. I, I need to see that as well. Like mm. somewhere safe that they can really address their issues and – and exhibit anger and fear and sadness and and it's okay like be raw be real mm. um but it's okay and it's also safe it's it's in a safe and controlled environment um veterans also i have a, a friend of mine right now who's kind of trying going through this right now garrett got so lucky that the first counselor he found outside of recovery was just rockstar a godsend yeah but you don't find that all the time mm. it takes a special special kind of counselor or therapist to treat a veteran when it comes to different things that ail them, whether it be PTSD or a traumatic brain injury or depression or anxiety. It's just a different level. I'm not a clinician, so I can't exactly describe it to you. I just know that it's a different type of You know it when you see it. Right. And so finding those people that can also address those issues right. it, it's gonna it takes a special kind of person who can do that or a special type of clinician or a right. special type of understanding right um but I also know that part of what Garrett always mentioned which I find also important is that someone to hold them accountable it's not easy like he he had to rip off band-aids he had no desire to rip off and but they allowed him to rip it off in a safe space in a safe way, in his time, but still forced him to address it, forced him to see it, tried different kinds of therapy. He went through transcranial 
Um, I can't remember the exact name of it, but the transcranial magnetic uh, stuff in his head. They did that while he was there. Um, He did um, repetitive therapy where they made him relive certain incidences over and over and over. Yes, so that he could start to react in a different way by getting used to it, not Mm. numb to it. Used to it. Right. Um, so different types of therapy, sure. um, you know, offering that meet the need of veterans because they just, they do, they are very traumatic. You know, it's someone who experiences trauma of any kind, I'm right. sure. Sure. But there's just something that is different about a veteran. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that's exciting to me is that we've developed partnerships. Uh, we meaning BRC recovery. Um, I'm, I'm just helping to facilitate that mm-hmm. process, but you know, Dr. Evelyn Lewis, mm-hmm. what a gem, what a gold brick of a human being. And mm-hmm. she's bringing some amazing training to the table that just addresses simple cultural competency around understanding the veteran mm-hmm. and understanding how to be able to come alongside those people, uh, that, have served our country like you and I. Um, not everyone, you're right, can walk in the room and command that um, respect, not because you're trying to get respect, but because you have earned it through things like empathy and listening. God, that's so huge. Right? So huge. Empathy and listening, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, so I, I think that the beauty and the uniqueness of this particular conversation amongst all the others is that we're, we're we're dealing with a, a person that is sharing a lived experience that impacted her through a family member who was a service member, but oh, by the way, you are too. Mm-hmm. And everything about this, the psychology of that conversation, I mean, talk about blowing your mind. And you want to say I didn't sign up for this, but we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? You're right. Did we, I know that when I was 17? No, I did not. But it is Eric Schmerit, who's that yeah, guy or whatever. Right. It is the abs it is reality. It is reality. Mm. Whether it's ever brought on brought up on the front end or not. Well, and I think we, we try to dog and pony issue even that. They try to tell us what we want to hear and, and I guess it's um, you know, um there's a there's a there's a method to that madness. Um Something you talked about, and it's come up in every conversation, being heard. And closely linked to that is this idea that it really helps when you're going through a process in a recovery space where you have someone that, quote unquote, looks like you. Mm -hmm. Now, from the surface, that sounds like, well, if if it's a female, I need a female. If it's a person of color, it's a person of color. The guy we were sitting with at dinner tonight also mentioned this. And Mm -hmm. let me ask you if you agree with this. The person that looks like you is the person that's heart beats like yours and has a DNA like yours. Like, you know who that person is and Mm -hmm. that person's like you because of who they are. You agree with that? Who they are and lived experiences too, shared experiences. Yes. Like, you and I understand each other. I always tell people this. I always tell people that I am so lucky to be married to Garrett, not Mm -hmm. just because he's Garrett. Right. Because I adore him. I love that man more than life itself. Mm. But I am so lucky because I can come home and we have shared experiences, lived experiences. We were in Afghanistan together. You know, we understand like I don't have to explain acronyms. I don't have to explain (laughs) how I feel. I came home the other day and it was the 18th anniversary of one of my one of my dear friends dying on deployment, right, with us, right? And I came home and I was like, God, today was just such a terrible day. And he looked at me and I just started tears running down my face. And he's like, it's today, it's today, it's today, isn't it? And that was it. There was nothing more said. He just put his arms around me and just says, he's like, just let me take care of you. Because I didn't have to say anything. He knew, like, the pain, the connotation that is with that, with me. And I am so, but... That's what I mean. We have shared lived experience. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm married to him, it's just extra. It's it's on a right. whole different level. Sure. But you and I, me and an, myself and any other veteran, like we have shared lived experiences together. And that is what can bring us to the same space together mm-hmm. and the same level of understanding. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think I'm going to. Turn to the acronym conversation again. I created a, a couple acronyms. You're familiar with one. It's called TEAM. Mm-hmm. There's another one I created for the people that have determined they want to serve BRC recovery in the capacity of an advocacy 
board member. And I, it came to my attention that at the end of the day, when we're helping people go through the process of recovery, we're really helping them to win. We're helping them to win. And win is an acronym. Mm-hmm. And I want you to kind of weigh in on how would Mira Brown, as an advocacy board member, help mm-hmm. veterans in this place to do these following things. One, welcome. Two, inspire. Mm-hmm. And three, navigate. And I'm going to weigh in on the navigate part. Okay. But if you were to counsel someone, if your best advice could be given on how do you welcome a veteran, given all the things we've just talked about, right? All the stigmas and all the, the muscle memories and all the why you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. How do you welcome a veteran into a basically civilian run space that says, we've got your back. We hear you. How do you welcome? You provide no judgment. That is that is one thing that I, I feel is very important in welcoming someone into. Because if you have someone coming into a place like BRC Recovery or any other type of recovery space, they're already, they're probably close to rock bottom, if not already there, mm. right? Like there's something that has brought them to this place, to this point. So welcoming somebody into that space means no judgment, allowing them to feel safe and and know that it's okay. And I feel like sometimes there was a an article that I read at one point where a sergeant major used to go to the behavioral health clinic and he would sit in the waiting room. And he, and he would even schedule appointments and he would go into his appointment and he would just talk about whatever. He really didn't have anything too much of a concern that, that was in his head. And so they kept asking him, they're like, Sergeant Major, why do you keep coming back? And he's like, because I want them to see me. Mm. I want them to see me sitting here in this waiting room. I want them to see me going back into the room and then coming out of that room so that they too feel welcome enough to come into this space and be like, well, if he's going to, I mean, if he's That's doing right. it, then, then it must be okay, right? Like, maybe I won't get judged. So it has to be a judgment-free zone and and just a zone of tolerance mm. and and um, just a space that you have just t- somewhere where they can be heard. One thing that I read when I was trying to figure out about BRC is that they service veterans of all kinds, no matter their discharge code, no matter what the behind the scenes of why they may have been discharged. Did they make it to 20? Did they not make it to 20? Did they, you know, get discharged at six because they, you know, popped hot for cocaine? Like, whatever the case may be, there it's a no-judgment zone. You're welcome because you have something that needs to be addressed, and we are willing to take to mm. take our gloves off mm. and address that mm. at its root. Mm. And to me, that is what is welcoming, is is being able to just, just be raw about it. Like, take off the gloves and be acceptant mm. of the dirty. Mm. Excellent. Like, No, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Because we're not trying to be dirty. We're not trying to um, appear any... And I think when, when I think of dirty or... Um, just not pretty. Disheveled. Not perfect. Right. And, and, and I think about uniforms, right? Like, sure. I was the guy that dry cleaned my uniform and pressed it. And I, I was can like, totally see that, John. Yeah, of course I you can. Right? So, but everything's, you know, dress right dress, as yes. we say, right? Yes. That's a facade. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a 100% facade. Sure. And I know I, on some level, hid behind that. that I'm just talking about me, right? Absol- yeah. So, to be able to welcome in a no judgment zone, like, we also have a term in the, in the Army, soup sandwich. Mm-hmm. You look like a soup sandwich. Mm-hmm. You, you look ate up. You look like a, you know, POS, whatever that is. It has to be come as you are. Come as you are. Yes. Outstanding. Now, if you can't tell me how you would inspire someone, I'm going to tell you how you inspired me <laughs> tonight. But what does inspiration look like to a person that's walking in the door? How do we inspire them as advocates in this specific domain of human beings? Let me tell you, I um, this terrible thing that happened to our family to my husband specifically that just rolled over into our family um it saved our family and it saved his life mm. 100% so let's just start there um but it just it gave us the opportunity to start over to heal from this and um what was the word that you used for this one the yeah it helped Inspire. me. Yes, it helped me as a leader. Yeah. Like if I took off the wife hat, there you go. Put on the leader hat. Yep. 
It helped me. I thought that I had empathy for others and their situation. I, I did. I really did until this happened to me, right? Because I have had soldiers that are in really crummy situations like this, and I don't know that my judgment was always the best, right? Because there are times when you judge people for exactly what you see in front of you mm. and you don't know the backstory. Mm. And so what happened— to Garrett and to our family helped me to be a more empathetic leader mm. and to want to dig further to mm. see what the why, mm. why, why is this? Why did this happen? Just like we talked about at dinner this evening, like not the what the fuck, mm. the actual what happened to you? Yep. What can we do to make this better? You know, or, you know, let's get down to the root of the problem. Um, I don't know that I always would have dug that deep. Mm. And so I think there's some leadership uh, there's some coaching, some mentoring that our leaders, our own leaders need um, and using examples like this right. um, and and made probably several examples that BRC Recovery could offer Absolutely. to train leaders to make them empathetic mm. and inspire others mm. um, to lead properly. Mm. Like, it, you know, leadership is not easy. No, it is not. It nope. is. It is. Is. Mm. Just trying to find the right it's word. It's disruptive. For it. it it is. Right. It is. But it's so it's such an honor. I, it is I, an I'll honor. Tell you, it's such an honor. But you have to get it right. Like yeah. right. You can't there if you get it wrong. Like bad things can happen. Really. Yeah. yeah. They can. It's yeah. so important. Right. And so um, to to be able to understand people and to like take the time to do it too. Because again, the army, any branch of service, we are go 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 go. This is our one purpose in life: fight, yeah. win our nation's wars. That's what we do. And everything else is just a distraction, right. but it can't be. Right. That's the problem. It right. can't be a distraction right. because if you don't have, you can't train it. Can't they always say you can't train a vacancy? Right. If you're not there, I can't train you, and right. therefore we can't fight and win our nation's wars. So I need you to be okay. Right. But I also think it's very important for senior leaders, just like I discussed earlier, to it's okay to have a problem. Right. Go through what you need. That be okay. Also, it's right. okay to seek treatment you don't have to be afraid to lose your security clearance just because you're having a rough time right get the treatment that you need so that you can come out better on the back end right and that last statement you just made doesn't mm. mean anything to a lot of civilians losing your security clearance mm. that resonated with mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds of people that just listened to that mm -hmm. right okay inspiration is exactly what you provide every time you tell the story of what happened to you and the outcome mm -hmm. like that's that's good stuff mm -hmm. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I've loved it ever since I've known you because I've, I've been tracking with you mm -hmm. and now I get to see the, the back end and it's, it's beautiful. So in the process of, of welcoming, inspiring, a navigation starts and people start going down the path. And the closest thing that I could consider a really good analogy in the military is land nav, mm -hmm. land navigation, right? <laughs> We're taught how to do that, mm -hmm. right? Literally, we're taught how to navigate in nothingness. Like, there's a there's a spot out there. However many clicks out, you can't even see it, but you need to get there. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that kind of sound like recovery? That's the goal. Absolutely. You can't see it. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, it, it's insane that you would even say, you know, that far out, you want me to get there? Mm -hmm. And my conversations with several people have been along these lines. And I want to see if you agree with this. Land navigation talks if nothing else, about creating points along the way mm -hmm. to get to the goal. We call them waypoints. Mm -hmm. Keeping your head up, not down, because if you keep your head down, this direction becomes it's this direction, correct. right? You're not we, watching. We know yeah. all that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Build on that analogy in recovery and how important that conversation is to a service member. Um. So on a map, we have what? Hills, valleys, spurs, draws. We have all these terrain features. Some are some are more treacherous than others. Some are deeper than others. Some are more elevated than others. Um, and that is what you have to navigate to get to the end point, right? Is all these terrain features, and those terrain features are what are is what is happening in someone's life, mm. or maybe their journey to recovery. I guess it's almost twofold. It's like. The terrain features that are behind you, mm -hmm. that are all the lived experiences that you have done, you know, that have happened to you, that are in your head just cooking away. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then you get to a point and then maybe you finally decide you need some recovery 
and then you have a point in front of you that you're trying to reach and you again are still going to have to navigate mm. those land features that are in front of you. Sometimes you're going to be at the bottom of the barrel and you're going to be in a valley and sometimes you might end up on a ridge at the top looking because mm. you're healthy and you're happy and you're moving forward mm. and eventually you'll get to the end mm. which is your final destination, mm. your rally point mm. and you know you maybe have made it through recovery and you've seen the other side and now you know what healthy looks like and your life can finally begin. Mm. I, I'm assuming all that verbiage you just spat out involves more than one person. Mm-hmm. You need a team, right? No, absolutely. You need a team. Absolutely. And so we're going to go to that acronym, mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. We're going to wrap it up with team because you and I know that that's a term that's become near and dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Team looks like a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but I found that the word in and of itself is bonding. It is reassuring. It is something everyone wants. Mm-hmm. And so the acronym TEAM, although it spells the word TEAM, mm-hmm. is encompassed with four words. I'm going to give you the opportunity to kind of flesh out maybe one of your more favorite words within TEAM. We got transition. Mm-hmm. Empowerment, mm-hmm. advocacy, and mindset. Hmm. I um, I think from a senior leader perspective, I'm going to go down the advocacy road um, because it is kind of our responsibility at this point, you know, as, as senior leaders. Or and I say senior leaders, not even senior leaders. It's really leaders of any of any kind in the organization, mm. right? Um, It is our responsibility to advocate for people, but it's even beyond that. I keep in touch with so many soldiers that have come and gone, Mm -hmm. right? They decided the Army wasn't for them or they had something else going on, but they still need something, right? So they'll reach back to me and be like, hey, I'm having this problem. Mm -hmm. Can you advocate for me? Can you help me with this? Can Mm -hmm. you assist me with this? And then even those who are still in, they— Soldiers who are going through a difficult time, whether it be something that BRC uh, deals with or just something completely different, they need an advocate for them because sometimes the waters are so dark and so murky, they cannot take mm. care of themselves or advocate mm. for themselves. Mm. So I feel very strongly about the word advocacy. Okay. And then um, also empowerment is, is also a great one too um, because I feel like leaders should also empower people um, to help themselves as well. And because it's not someone who goes through recovery, mm. f- just from my, my mm. experience, this mm. is speaking for self, sure. um, someone who goes through recovery um, needs, it, it won't happen until they're ready, right? It has to happen in their own space, Absolutely. in their own time. If it's a forced thing, right. it just typically sometimes doesn't turn out correctly, right? right. So empowering soldiers or em- airmen or any branch of service, empowering them to commit to the recovery, commit to taking care of themselves in the future, commit to then maybe paying that forward right? Um, once they're better or once mm. they've made it through recovery and have seen mm. the other side, mm. reach your hand back because mm. you know. So empower others mm. to empower yourself right. to reach back, empower right. others to move forward. Mm. Um, those are two that really kind of stick out I to love me. That. So the last thing we're going to end on, mm-hmm. and you're going to get to see this place tomorrow. One of BRC's uh, platforms is called Makana Path. Makana okay. is a Hawaiian word that means gift. It's my first duty station. Okay. So if you're on the advocacy board mm-hmm. for the Military Veterans Program at BRC Recovery, and Makana is gift, what is the gift that you would hope that every veteran that comes through that program would receive? It could be a word. It could be a statement. Um, the first couple of words that just come to mind are like happy and healthy. Mm. Um, those are kind of the first two because I feel like those are two very strong thing, like cornerstones sure. that can build so much more. Mm-hmm. To, to come out of it happy and healthy uh, that sh- that you can then – move forward Mm. and see a better path, see a better life, Mm. see that there is happiness and healthiness Mm. on the other side. Um, I feel like that is a great pathway forward. That's awesome. Well, Mira, no doubt 
that I uh, had no doubt that you would bring it, and you did. And I appreciate you. Our relationship um, has been building to this point where a conversation like this in front of a lot of people can hopefully benefit um, those we're trying to serve. And, and you brought a unique perspective, um, a service member, a wife, a leader, and you've allowed us to get inside here. And we really appreciate that perspective. You've helped hundreds, if not thousands of people. Um, and so many of the things only you could have uniquely said based upon your purview and your opportunities to, you know, be a part of that experience in your life. And, and we, we just, uh, greatly thank you for your, your time. And so again, wow, what a great opportunity to have a conversation about how this organization, BRC Recovery, is bringing hope and light to the nation's warriors. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.